before we go to the, the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you this morning for the burden of this message. Lord, it's not a typical message. It's, it's probably not a sunshine and rainbows message, but it is a vital message for the church today. Lord, I pray that as we go over, that, that they, these won't be my, word, my words, but your words. Lord, not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, let your Holy Spirit reign and rule in this place. Lord, as we go into the word, as we go into what it is you've laid on my heart, God, that it would be life impacting for people. Lord, that it would be life impacting for me. Lord, I thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, you know, we, we've been doing our series on uh, Profiles and Courage. If you wonder what the PIC stands for, it stands for Profiles and Courage. And we've been, we've been doing them off of various characters and people in the Bible. Uh, the last one we just finished up was with Elijah. How many of you guys enjoyed that? Amen. Good. Elijah. We finished up with that, and, and this morning, you know, next week is Easter. This is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. This is what's known as Palm Sunday. And in a lot of churches, they'll be having palms and waving palms, and, and it was a, a celebration of seeing Jesus come into Jerusalem. This morning, I want to look at the followers of Christ. If we're looking at the profiles in courage, I want to look at the followers of Christ. When you think of followers of Christ, what do you automatically think of? Anybody say it? Disciples, right? So how many disciples were there? Twelve disciples. Can anybody name them? I wonder. How many? How many? Bobby, you think you can do it? I asked her before the service. Becky? No? Mary? Let's, let's go into it, amen? I don't know. I asked my wife yesterday. She got a lot. By the way, I do want to say this. Um, if you have a child in the service this morning, um, at some point towards the end of the message, there is going to be some graphic violent content on the screen. And so I want to give you fair warning of uh, some R-rated images that will, be so, that will be shown in the service today, okay? So just so you know, if you're a parent and you wouldn't want your children to see that, then please take precautions. Amen? Amen. All right. So we have 12 disciples. 12 disciples. Their names are, in case you have forgotten or haven't seen them in a while, Peter, James, Andrew, we have John the Revelator, we have Bartholomew, we have Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas, we have James, who is known as the Lesser or the Younger, then we have Judas, of course he was replaced by Matthias, then we have Jude, or known as Thaddeus, we have Matthew, we have Philip, and the last one is we have Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, there was 12 disciples, but did you know that there was more than just 12. Yes, you did. Did you know in Scripture there's more than just 12 disciples? I'm going to show you. Go to the first slide. It says this. John chapter 6, verse 47 through 51, says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me... You know, let's, let's go ahead and stand this morning. 
This is important. I think most assuredly, this is Jesus speaking. He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. You may be seated. Which I shall give for the life of the world. In John chapter 6, we're speaking, Jesus is speaking that he is the bread of life. He is it. And he starts using language here that is a little bit confusing. He starts using language that the Jews in the crowd don't quite understand this. What do you mean I'm, you're the bread of life? What, is, what do you mean that where you're saying that, uh, that the bread is my flesh? I mean, that's, that's a little... Yeah, and here's kind of how the conversation goes. Jesus says, I'm the bread which comes down from heaven. And the crowd starts saying, wait a minute. We know your parents. You're saying you're coming down from heaven. We know your parents. That's Joe and Mary's kid. You ever know? You ever think about that? The people in the crowd, the people in the area, that, wait, wait a second, Jesus. We know who's kid. You're Joe and Mary's kid. I think it's kind of funny. When you, when you look at it in the right context, you go, well, wait a second. Yeah, Jesus grew up with these people. Yeah, that's Joe and Mary's kid. We know him. How can you be from heaven? This is what the crowd is saying. And Jesus says this. Stop your murmuring. They start talking amongst themselves. Hey, this Jesus guy, he's saying that he's from heaven. But that's Joe and Mary's kid. I mean, I know this guy. You like that, Carrie? It's Joe and Mary's kid, right? How can he be from heaven? And so we're talking amongst ourselves. Hey, you know what? He's saying this. What's going on here? Hey, Bobby, did you hear about the the Jesus guy? He's saying it's Joe and Mary's kid. He's saying he's from heaven. And Jesus says, you know what? Stop. Stop your murmuring. That's what he says. He says, you know what? Just be quiet. He's a little bit stronger. He says, hey, shut up. Okay? Stop your murmuring. You need to stop it. And he says this, stop your talking. Stop your murmuring. And then he says this, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. And then he says these things. These are, these are crazy things to say that if you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. If you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Then he says this. This is weird. Eat this bread and you'll live forever. Essentially, he says it this way. Stacy, I am the bread of life. If you eat this bread... You will live forever. The crowd freaks out. The crowd is just like, gross. I mean, th- I mean it's, it's, think about it. He's saying if you eat his flesh, then he goes even deeper into it. He says, no, you don't only have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. You don't have to just eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. How many, okay, I'm just going to, let's just put this out there. If someone said to you, Hey, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What's your response going to be? I don't think so. I don't think so. 
This is incredibly disturbing imagery that he uses. I mean, the, 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 the imagery, the, the descriptions that he uses is disturbing. I am the bread of life, but you have to eat my flesh. I'm, I, I, you have to drink my blood. The people are saying, this guy sounds like a maniac. It sounds like a maniac. Keep in mind that Jesus is speaking entirely in the figurative here. He's speaking in the figurative, but they still just aren't getting it. They're just, they're not listening. They're not getting, they're not really hearing him. Go to the next slide. It says this. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said this. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? I mean, they're talking amongst themselves and saying, man, do you hear that Jesus said that he was the bread of life? He wants us to eat his flesh. He wants us to drink his blood. And, and they're just, I, we, I just don't get it. This is a hard saying. I, I, don't, I don't get it. What is he trying to say, Jonathan? What is he trying to say? I don't get it. This, he's sounding crazy. Who can understand this? Is there anybody, can, can you understand this, Mike? Can you, can you understand this? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he asked this, and I love this. They just don't get it. They don't get what he's saying. They can't understand it. And he says these words, does this offend you? Does this offend you? The disciples were confused, probably a bit disgusted by the imagery. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What are you talking about? And then Jesus says, are you offended? Does this offend you? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is where Jesus is right now. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the followers of him. How many would call yourself a follower of Jesus? Amen. Amen. But Jesus says something, says, this is my flesh you have to eat. This is my blood you have to drink. And now all of a sudden his followers don't get it. And he says very clearly, well, does this offend you? Do, are you able to see from the same perspective as me? That's what Jesus is really saying. Are you able to see from my perspective? People are offended in your life and in my life when you say something to them or I say something to them and they aren't understanding what I'm saying. Amen? Sometimes I'll say something to somebody, and I don't want to pick on anybody, so I don't want to... Bobby, I'll pick on you. No, I'm sorry. I say something to Bobby, and she's offended. Because it was taken the wrong way. Maybe I didn't put it in the most clear way. Maybe I was using a little bit of sarcasm, as we know that people use now and then. But I'm saying it, and she is offended by it. She's not... She's not looking at it from my perspective. Because if she was looking at it from my perspective, she wouldn't be offended. 
If she was looking at, if, if I was looking at things from your perspective, I wouldn't be offended. Right? Jesus is simply saying this. Are you seeing things from my perspective? If you don't understand what I'm talking about when I say that I'm the bread of life and I, that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you don't understand it, if you're not looking at it from my perspective, you're going to be offended. And so he goes to his disciples who are following him and says the words, Are you offended? Does this offend you? When you're not on the same plane, when you're not in the same perspective of Jesus, you can be offended. Do you not understand? Jesus says it this way. Are you lined up with me? Says it another way. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? You ever hear that before? Hey, are you picking up what I'm laying down? I'm trying to make a point here. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Have you ever heard that before? (laughs) If you don't understand this, If you don't understand this now, this is what Jesus is saying. If you don't understand this now, you're not going to understand when it comes to the resurrection. If you don't understand this now, you're not going to understand when it comes to the resurrection. If you don't get it now, you're not going to get it later. And then Jesus says something incredible because he says, the words that I'm speaking to you are not flesh, but their spirit. The words that I'm speaking to you are not flesh, but they are spirit. They're not tangible, they're intangible. They're not seen, they're unseen. He says this, go to the next slide. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Now, to put this in context, Jesus had many disciples, many people who called themselves followers. And what's incredible here is that these people, these followers, these disciples, they had seen what Jesus had done. They had seen some incredible things. I mean, if we look back, they they saw some incredible things. They witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They'd heard the teachings of Jesus now. They'd watched as the lame man was healed at the pool of Bethesda. They they participated in the feeding of the 5,000, where God supernaturally provides food. I mean, they, they were witness to these things. They had, referred to, they had referred to Jesus as a great teacher. In fact, at one point they say, yes, he's a great teacher and he's a great prophet. They were followers and disciples of Jesus. And after seeing all of this, after seeing all that he had done, all the miracles and, and all the teachings, after seeing all of that, It says this, 
from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus is speaking to them and he says, I know that there's some, he knows there's some who don't believe there. He makes a statement, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Can you, I, I don't understand this. They followed him. They were disciples of him. We're not talking about the beginning of Holy Week here. We're not talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, excuse me. We're not talking about the time when the soldiers come. We're not talking about when the disciples abandoned him then. We'll get there in just a few minutes. We're talking about way before that. There had just been the feeding of the 5,000. They had just seen this incredible miracle. Now Jesus is talking to the Jews and saying, I'm the bread of life. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. You can't come to me unless the Father calls you. And they just don't get it. They can't understand it. They are offended by it. What happens when people are offended? Very simply, they leave. They leave when they can't get the perspective, when they can't see it from God's point of view. When, when they have their own idea of what Jesus should be. They have their own idea of what Jesus should say. They have their own idea of how Jesus should walk and tack and talk and speak. They'd seen incredible things, but they couldn't see beyond the flesh. They couldn't see beyond the outside. Here's what happened. They were spectators rather than participators. They were spectators rather than participators. They were just in the audience enjoying the show without having to do any of the real work. Amen? There's a difference between spectators and participators, right? There's a difference between those in the audience and and those doing the work, right? There is a difference between those who are on the outside and those who are on the inside. Jesus was revealing something that those who are following him, those who are truly following him, that it wasn't just on the surface. It couldn't just be on the surface. It couldn't just be the miracles. It couldn't just be the healings. It couldn't just be the teachings. I mean, they experienced all this, but when it came down to it, they couldn't see in the Spirit what Jesus was saying. They couldn't see it. You can't just be enthralled by the miracles. You can't just be enthralled by the healings. You can't just be excited because there's a word that that makes me feel good inside. Now I'm encouraged. Now, Now I feel like rainbows and sunshine. And you get there and, and you feel that way. And man, there's the miracles. But, but everything just kind of remains on the surface. Everything just kind of remains at the top. They don't dig deeper. They don't understand that it's not about the outside, but the deepness of the spiritual. The deepness of the spiritual. 
It's time to stop spectating and start participating. Amen? It's time to stop spectating and start participating. Amen? This becomes a problem. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The ones who are leaving have left. They aren't returning anymore. And Jesus says this. Go to the next slide. Then Jesus says to the twelve, I like this. Do you also want to go away? Jesus says to, there was many disciples, but they got offended and they left. And by the time they leave, there's 12 guys left. From this point on, they're referred to as the 12. And Jesus, you can just imagine, I mean, look at it from today's perspective. Let's say, let's say I'm speaking to a crowd, much like this one, and I say something that offends some people. It's been known to happen, right? And all of a sudden, while I'm speaking, I say what I say, people get offended, and everybody starts walking out the doors. I mean, a crowd of people start walking out the doors. It's painful to watch. I don't want them to go, but they just can't see what I'm saying. And they leave, and I turn around, and there's only 12 people left. Thanks for staying, Carol. (laughs) Thanks for staying, Evan. I appreciate it, man. Bryce, you're there too. You're good. But I turn and I look and I see the 12, and my words are this. Well, how about you guys? Well, how about you guys? You want to go away too? And the most vocal person in the crowd that's left, who said that's me? Someone said that's me. Who said that? Carol said that. (laughs) The most vocal person in the crowd that's left speaks up. It's only 12 left. There was was many disciples. We're not sure how many, to be honest with you. It could have been a couple dozen. It could have been a couple hundred. We're not sure. What we know is that by the time they leave, by the time they're whittled away, we have 12. And the most vocal of the 12 says this incredible statement. Go to the next slide. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, Simon Peter's response here is just incredible. I want you to take, take it out of the, you know, sometimes we, like I said this last week, I've said it multiple times, but sometimes we read the Bible and we miss what the Bible says. 
Imagine everybody's left. These, these had to be friends of the disciples. These had to be friends of the twelve. People that they had traveled with. They'd seen Jesus do miracles together. They'd heard, they'd heard Jesus' teachings. They'd seen incredible things together. And these twelve watch as their friends leave one by one and two by two. They leave now and they look around and there's only 12 left. And Jesus asks the all-important question, what about you? Will you go away as well? And Peter responds with the most incredible answer, Lord, where are we going to go? Who are we going to go to? Where are we going to go? Who who are we going to go to? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Jesus, we've come to believe that you're the Son of God. We've come to believe that you are the Christ. Where else can I go? I mean, seriously, when you find out the most important thing in the universe... When you start to understand and realize... When you're able to look into the Spirit... And go beyond the flesh and understand what Jesus is saying. That he is the bread of life. And you know apart from him you are nothing. When Jesus says, will you two go away from me? Your only response can be, where am I going to go? Who do I have to follow now? Except for Jesus. Where can I go? What could I do? You're the eternal life. You're the son of God. It's been revealed to us that you are the Christ. It didn't start with the 12. But the 12 had been chosen. Jesus, Jesus, it says Jesus knew the other's disbelief. Jesus knew that they would leave. Jesus knew that they would betray him. In fact, he also knew who ultimately would betray him. And he was in the 12. It didn't start with the 12, but now they're ready to move forward. Now they're ready to move forward. Now Jesus has has kind of whittled away the riffraff. These were the disciples. These were the disciples. Most were fishermen by trade. Some were brothers. Some were cousins. But here they were. This ragtag group of men that Jesus chose to teach and train knowing that he'd be gone soon. He'd be gone soon. These disciples, they travel with the Master. They watch everything Jesus is going through. They're likely unaware of what the cost will ultimately be for them. They're likely unaware. They may have an inkling that what they're doing is a little dangerous. But right now, they're just watching him. Right now, they're asking questions. There's some laying out of hands. There's some healing going on. But Jesus is discipling them at this point. A 
Of course, we know that leading is ultimately towards the death of Christ. We know that at the beginning of Holy Week, he goes into Jerusalem. He's riding a donkey. He's praying in the garden. Judas is betraying him. Peter is denying him. While Judas was the ultimate betrayer, and Peter was the denier, ultimately everybody would desert him. The journey had been great. They had walked with Jesus. They had listened to him. They had experienced his goodness and his presence. But now they were facing death. Can you hear me? Now they were facing death. And the pressure became too much for them. When we talk about profiles and courage, we talk about the courage of the disciples. The courage of the followers of Jesus. For most, for all, they deserted him. In fact, it was only the resurrection that brought them back. By this time, Judas had now hung himself. He had betrayed Jesus for 40 pieces of silver. He had hung himself. He is gone. They pick a new disciple named Matthias. It says this, before the resurrection, they were following a man. Before the resurrection, I I like this, before the resurrection, they had some faith. In fact, they maybe even had strong faith. But then he's crucified on a cross. And what's the use in following a dead man? You've been following him for three years. You've heard his teachings. You've seen the miracles. You've seen what he's done. But now he's on the cross. Now he's breathed his last. Now you see the body hanging there. And what's the use of following a dead man? Before the resurrection, they had some faith, but not a lot of faith. However, after the resurrection, after the resurrection, their faith increases dramatically. For most, it was only the resurrection that brought them back. This resurrected king now drives who they are. If we look at the disciples, who they were before and who they were after, They're they're, they're entirely different people. They have entirely different missions. They're on an entirely different journey. Their journey now is pushed by a resurrected king. Of the 12, the 12 disciples, there's only one that we know for sure didn't die by martyrdom. His name was John the Revelator. We know that he escaped being killed for his faith. He was boiled in oil at one point. Did you know that? 
but he was the only one who eventually died of old age and natural causes. But it wasn't for a lack of people trying. When we look at the disciples, when we look at these 12 that followed Jesus, let me tell you a, a little bit about what happens to them. Some were stoned. Some were stabbed. Others were sawn apart. Others were filleted alive. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Andrew was in Greece. And he was preaching in Greece when the governor's wife got healed and saved. The governor's name was Apius. His wife got healed and saved, and it enraged him. And then his brother got saved. And this just put him over the edge. Andrew was crucified. Why an X-shaped cross? Because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as his master. The cross was for Jesus. He deserved something else. And then we have Peter. Peter is crucified, but he's crucified upside down. He too said, if you're going to crucify me, then crucify me. But not in the way that Jesus was That's sacred. So they crucify Peter upside down. The courage they had before the resurrection is dwarfed by the courage they have after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, they deserted Christ. Before the resurrection, upon fear of death, they all deserted him. But after the resurrection, now all of the disciples are doing everything they can to proclaim Jesus. After the resurrection, the disciples are doing everything they can, and it's leading to their crucifixion. It's leading to their death. There's, you see a solid difference between who they were before the resurrection and who they were after the resurrection. And in case you're wondering why there was such a difference, in case you, you're, you're saying, Pastor David, I think I understand, but, but really what was the massive difference? It's this. They had been a witness to the greatness of God. They'd been a witness for three years they traveled with Jesus. Some even had the revelation that he was in fact God. But it wasn't until after Holy Week that all of their doubt was removed. It wasn't until after the resurrection that all of their doubt was removed. When the resurrected king sat with them, ate with them, let them let him touch the scars... He talked to them face to face. They saw him ascend into heaven. When their faith, now it was not just strong, their faith was solidified. Their faith was solidified. See, I want you to, to hear this this morning. This is the main point, the main emphasis when you are moved from a position of strong faith to solidified faith, you also begin to move towards a position 
of being crucified. Did you know that? When you start to move from a strong faith, well, you know, I really like Jesus. Man, I like that guy. He really had some great teachings. Woo, man, he he, he had miracles. Hallelujah. People were healed. People were set free. People were delivered. Hallelujah, man, I love that guy. Jesus is my homeboy. That's what people, the people, people like the, uh, like Jesus. They like the personality of Jesus. They like to hear the stories of Jesus. But do they have a relationship with the Savior? They may have a strong faith, but it's not a solidified faith. You see, a strong faith, when faced with death, a strong faith says, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm out. But a solidified faith, when all doubt is removed, when Jesus has now been on the cross, he's died, he's rose again, you've seen the resurrected king. When you've seen the resurrected king and doubt is removed, now you have a solidified faith. And what that does is it pushes you away from deserting him and pushes you towards your own cross. It pushes you towards your own crucifixion. Your own crucifixion. You say, Pastor David, what do you mean by that? Your own crucifixion. When you're in a position of crucifixion in your life, you aren't worried about what your family thinks. When you're in a position of crucifixion in your own life, you aren't worried about what your friends think. When you're in a position of crucifixion in your own life, you aren't worried about what your coworkers are going to say about you. When you're in a position of crucifixion in your own life, you're willing to give up everything for the gospel. You aren't worried. The only thing on your mind is sharing the truth. Jenny, if you could come up. The only thing on your mind is sharing about the risen Christ with no fear of consequences. This is the thing. When you're moved to a position of crucifixion, You know, when we look at the cross, Jesus knew that he was going to it. Jesus knew it's what had to be done. Peter knew that he was going towards death at some point. Why? Because he was following the Master. And the Master ended up on a cross. The Master ended up being killed for his faith. When you're you're following the Master, it will ultimately lead you back to the crucifixion. Not the one that was done on the hill called Golgotha, but your own personal crucifixion. when you've made up your mind that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life, when you've truly made up your mind, the threat of death won't stop you. When you've truly made up your mind, the threat of death won't even stop you from proclaiming His goodness and His grace. 
when you've truly made up your mind that he's the most important thing in your life, then you truly start to begin to look like what a disciple looks like. Are you ready for it? Someone once said it this way, the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus was the death of his disciples. The greatest proof proof for the resurrection of Jesus was the death of his disciples. Why? Because you're not going to die for a dead man. You're not going to die for a dead man. You're going to die for a resurrected king. This is what leads to your crucifixion. Go ahead and play the video. Pastor David, I'm confused. It sounds like an Easter message. We're talking about a resurrected king. We're talking about, this sounds like an Easter message. I want to tell you something this morning. This is not an Easter message. You say, well, why not? Because Easter is when the spectators come out. Can you hear me? Easter is when the spectators come out. People feel, on Easter, people feel obligated to walk through these doors. No, no, I'm talking to those who are here week in and week out. This isn't a message for spectators. This is a message for those who are ready to see the brutal and bloody cross. This is a message for those who are ready to understand the brutal and bloody cross. They don't shy away from it. My question is this. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? This is a message for those who know that suffering is coming. This is a message, seriously, that suffering is coming. Say, Pastor David, this isn't very encouraging. Next week, I promise you, I'll give you all the encouragement you can handle. Next week, I promise you, you're going to leave here feeling phenomenal. But right now, when we get down to the nitty-gritty, when we get down to the base of what it is, when we get down to what it means to be a follower of Jesus... What it means to be a true follower of Jesus means that you will lead to the crucifixion in your own life. The master was crucified for the sins, redemption of the world. His disciples are crucified because they couldn't stop telling people about the resurrected king. Here's my question. It's very simple. Are you leading a life towards crucifixion? Are you leading a life towards crucifixion? Are you ready to be a follower of Jesus? Will your faith lead you to a cross? 
It's where it led him. It's where it led him. It's where it led his disciples. I know it's not pretty. I know it's not easy. But I know it's what's required. It's what's required. We live in America. We live in a country that has been blessed beyond measure. I mean, we have been blessed beyond measure. I'm not living in a state of poverty. I'm not, I'm not living in a place where I'm worried about coming into church on a Sunday morning and a terrorist coming in and blowing people up. We live in a place of comfort and convenience. But there's people that are still dying. There's people that are still dying, not hearing about our Christ. There's still people in your life that may have never experienced the true gospel of Jesus. There's still people in your life that haven't heard from your lips that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There's people in your life that haven't heard from your lips your testimony of how Jesus saved you. It's a tough message. It's not pretty. It's not easy. It's what leads us to the cross. It's what leads us to our own crucifixion. It's not pretty. But it is required. Anything less. Anything less is for spectators. Not participators. We talk about profiles and courage. I want to, this is where I want to encourage you this morning. Don't be a spectator. I'm not screaming it down. I'm not screaming it, trying to shove it down your throat. I'm trying to tell you, this is what's required of followers of Jesus. Don't be a spectator. Be a participator. Get into the dirt. Get into the grime. Get into the position of crucifixion. Follow your master. Be a follower of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.